My name is Michael Darbuz. I have the joy of serving as one of the pastors in this great faith family. Yes, I was just about to say it. I need some light. Uh, not that I need to be seen, but I want to see your faces. I've been preaching to a camera for longer than I have ever cared to, so I'm grateful to see eyes and, and faces. So uh, thank you for that light, Micah. Really excited about uh, what God has for us on this morning. If you were with us for some time this summer, uh, last month uh, I had preached through what I call the mini-series we didn't put a title on it just because we are going through our summer preaching series, but for me, titles help me to remember what I'm talking about. So uh, I had titled the mini-series Go, uh, Living a Life on Mission, and we talked about what it looks like to make disciples, to baptize disciples, and to teach disciples, and we were looking at Matthew 28, unpacking our mission statement. This month, I felt the Lord impressing on my heart to do another mini-series, a three-part series where we'll be looking at what it means to create a Christ culture, and so I titled it Reach uh, because it gives me a picture uh, that we don't unintentionally build a culture that reflects the love of Christ. When you reach for something, it's very intentional. You don't accidentally reach and grab the cup. And so we're reaching. We're reaching to ensure that we are creating a culture that reflects the love of Christ. And so we'll be in Acts chapter 2 for the next two weeks. And then the end of the month, I'll come back before this faith family and we'll uh, bounce over to Acts chapter 8, if the Lord should say the same. And the three essential elements to creating a Christ culture are reaching up, reaching in, we're talking about the faith family, and reaching out, making an impact in the community with the love of Christ. And so today, we'll be looking to dive into reaching up, and we'll be in Acts 2, verses 42 through 43. Uh, before we dive into the scriptures, I just ask that you would join me in a word of prayer. If you would pray for me, uh, pray with me that the Lord would have his way. Uh, Father God, there is not an hour in the week where I'm more keenly aware of my desperate dependence on you. Lord, there's nothing that we can say that would truly change hearts and edify the life of your people. But if you speak, we believe that we would leave here encouraged, stirred up, ready to run, to endure to the end. And so, Lord, would you have your way in this hour? Speak to us and through us a word that will draw us closer to you, a word that would help us to reach up in pursuit of the Lord that we love. May you minister and meet us all at the point of our need, and we deeply, desperately need you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, 43 read, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Now, before we can do a deep dive into this treasure trove of truth, 
we have to gain some context to understand who they are and how they got to where they are. And we can turn back to the opening part of Acts chapter 2 and get a good picture of who they are. Now, I'm going to go astronaut level, high level on this. So I encourage you to read over Acts chapter 2 because time won't allow me to unpack it the way I may feel it in my soul. But I'm going to just touch on it just so that we can get to know the they because it'll help give context to what the scriptures are speaking about. We see here in verse 1 of chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Now, this they are the 120 disciples of Jesus Christ. And what we need to understand is the day of Pentecost, the day of Pentecost, also known as the Feast of Pentecost, is one of three festivals that the Jews annually participated in. And there were three festivals that the Jews, every able-bodied male would have to leave from wherever they were and come to Jerusalem to worship God. This was one of those days. And so now the Jewish people are gathering together in Jerusalem for the day of Pentecost. What we also need to understand, again, high-level overview, is that the day of Pentecost is 50 days after the Passover or the Feast of Passover. And this is essential because this particular Feast of Passover, again, one of the other three important festivals that all able male-bodied Jews were to come to, this crowd that Peter is getting ready to speak to would also have been in Jerusalem 50 days ago. And about 50 days ago, this was when Jesus was crucified. So this crowd that Peter is getting ready to speak to that we'll see in just a moment was the same crowd that cried out, crucify him, crucify him. So now here they are 50 days later, the day of Pentecost, the 120 disciples are gathered together in this room praying and praising the Lord. And the scriptures tell us that the Holy Spirit came, wild story, again, read it, clothing tongues of fire, mighty rushing wind, mind-blowing filled the disciples, and they began speaking in a foreign tongue, foreign languages, more than 15 different languages. These Galileans were speaking to the people. And so a horde of Jews, devout Jews, the scriptures say, came to see what is going on. And they were blown away. Some, the scriptures tell us, were in awe, saying, this is a move of God. But others, the scriptures tell us, were mocking, saying, they're drunk. And then Peter and the 11 got up, and Peter's like, wait a minute. They can't be drunk. It's only 9 a.m. Now, I don't know what Peter's point was. Like, well, what would have happened at 12 p.m.? But at 9 a.m., it's clear to Peter that there was no way that they were inebriated. This, Peter would tell them, is none other than the hand of God. And Peter lets them know in Acts chapter 2 that this is the prophecy that Joel prophesied many years ago. And he goes on to let them know that the fulfillment of this prophecy came through Jesus Christ. And that's what we can see in a few verses here that I'll read in Acts chapter 2, verses 22 through 24. Men of Israel, this is Peter speaking to the crowd. Hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death. 
because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And then we jump down to 32 through 33. Peter continues to let them know who this Jesus is. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. This is a move of God. Jesus Christ, who you thought you killed, God raised him up, and now he has poured out the Holy Spirit on his disciples, and they are speaking under the power of the Holy Spirit. But Peter closes out his explanation of what's going on with a pretty strong point, letting the Jews know clearly who Jesus is and reminding them of what they did. Verse 36, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And now the Jewish crowd would have known clearly that when Peter said that he has made him, God has made him both Lord and Christ, this word Christ is translated the anointed one, the Messiah. All the Jews would have heard and said, wait a minute, you're telling me that this Jesus is the one that we have been waiting for and we crucified him? Well, now we see their response, or many of them, as they heard this news. Verses 37 through 41 tell of this dialogue that happened after this explanation was given to the crowd. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. For the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself and with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them this word exhort is to urge plead with them passionately saying save yourselves from this crooked generation so those who received his word were baptized and they were added that day about 3,000 souls and verse 42 says and they this they are those who crucified Christ but then after hearing the apostles teaching accepted Christ and now they have become followers of Christ. This is the day that verse 42 is talking about. And we see what they did. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. These true followers of Jesus Christ we now will see took five very intentional steps as they followed after the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. And this first step that we're going to look at is probably the most obscure, but I would argue also the most crucial step, and we can't miss it. It says, and they, the followers of Christ, devoted themselves. 
This word devoted means steadfastly continuing. It paints a picture of perseverance, an unwavering, unrelenting pursuit of someone or something. It's the kind of mindset that says in sickness and in health, in rich or poor, for better or worse, till death do us part. It's a devotion that says I'm going to run with you no matter what. And what makes this step so beautiful, this devotion, this unrelenting, unwavering pursuit of the Lord that they loved is that they devoted themselves. You see, they weren't forced. They they weren't coerced into it. They weren't manipulated. They weren't strong-armed. They weren't threatened. They devoted themselves. It was a personal decision. And what would cause someone to choose to leave everything and pursue something that they were once speaking against. It's not obligation. It's love. Love would cause them to devote themselves, to intentionally reach up in pursuit of the Lord that they love and leave everything else behind. That's what the word repent means. To turn from, do a 180 and turn to something else. So they left some way that they were pursuing. They repented and they started to pursue God with everything that they had because of love. And before we move on to the other four steps, I just want to sit in this for just a moment. Because it's important that we understand this step. Because if we skip this step, every other step becomes meaningless. We falter, we waver, we stumble, we quit. A lot of times in my life, and I'm sure many of you can attest to the fact that there are difficulties in this life, trials and tribulations, distractions, persecution, and quitting always seems like an option. I have not made it to 18 years of marriage because it's always been fun, easy, and pleasant. I love Joe Mar. She's the closest thing to walking on water that I've ever seen in my life. And if you put her over a bag or over water, she'll drop like a ton of bricks. But she is salt of the earth. We're going strong. You, yes, you, you know what I'm talking about. <clears throat> right? But it did not make it this far because it was easy. It made it this far because of devotion. Because I was willing and she was willing to say that come what may, even though we're going through a Sahara-like moment right now, we believe that the Lord will fill us. Even though these kids are losing their mind, we believe that God is going to keep us together. You all great too. I love you. You know, but we need to know that it's not because it's easy. And that's one of the challenges that I've seen in the body of Christ. It's a watered-down word. Michael, you weren't even going in this direction about five minutes ago. But here we are. You know, we tell people, come to Jesus, and we don't let them know what they're really coming into. And so it's like the seed that was planted on shallow soil. It sprouts up real fast, but then the cares of this world come around and just chokes it out. Because there's not a sincere devotion, an unwavering, unrelenting pursuit for the Lord that we love. And if we don't have this, then I assure you, it's nothing external that's keeping us from reaching up and pursuing the Lord. It's internal. It's my devotion. 
Have I decided to steadfastly continue after Jesus no matter what? Losing some friends. For God I live, for God I die. Kids may walk away from me. For God I live, for God I die. The people that I thought loved me may ostracize me. For God I live, for God I die. That's the devotion that we're talking about. That's what Paul was talking about. I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but it's not me. I know you see me, but what you really see is God living through me. Because if it was just me, I would have quit a long time ago. I would have. But because of God and my devotion to him, it hurts. I've cried many tears, but for God I live. And for God, I'm willing to die. If we do not have that kind of devotion, if we do not have that kind of commitment, if we're not willing to reach up in pursuit of God and willing to leave everything else behind, then the next four steps mean nothing. Oh, we'll take a few steps, but we're going to stumble. We're going to falter. We're going to fall. And then we're going to quit. But if we're devoted, this is not a, hmm, I'll take, I'll take a test to see if this God thing works. I don't dip my toe in the water Feet first, deep in. Here we go, Jesus. You know, there's no stopping. <clears throat> That's the way that we need to devote ourselves to Christ. And so if you find yourself in the middle of a rock in a hard place and you're still holding on to Jesus, hold on. But if you find yourself starting to drift and waver, it's not the circumstances. Oh, I, it's hard. Don't get me high. Not easy at all. But you only need to look as far as as within. Where's my devotion? Where is my love? And when you come to know Jesus the way that they did, a Jesus that would love me even though I crucified him and would be willing to share this love with me and rescue me, oh, I don't do what I do out of obligation. I do what I do out of love. Lord, I love you. What do you, what do you need? Anything for you, Jesus. That's what we're talking about. And so as we get ready to look at these next four steps, which I'm not going to be able to unpack because of the interest of time, the way that I'd like to, I'm going to tease out a couple and we may just skim below the surface of a couple of other ones. But before we unpack these four, there's one word that I want to make sure that we really understand. Because this word, like the first step, is obscure. But I believe it's crucial to really understanding these next four steps. It's the definite or prepositive article, the. This word, the, is prefixed to common nouns, and it serves the purpose of distinguishing between places, things, and notions. And so, in other words, this definite article lets us know that we are to treat or recognize as different the word that it's prefixed to. And we see this definite article prefixed to four different Steps. It says the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. So we're to understand that these things are to be treated differently than when they're typically or commonly used. So when it says the apostles' teaching, it's talking about a different teaching than most other teachings. We're supposed to handle this teaching differently. When it says the fellowship, it's talking about a it's different gathering than your typical gathering. When it talks about the breaking of bread, it's a different breaking of bread even than the breaking of bread that we see in verse 46. When it says the prayers, it's a different prayer than what 
people commonly or typically pray or who they pray to. So we need to treat these words differently as we look at the steps that these disciples, these followers of Christ were willing to take as they were reaching up in pursuit of a Lord that they love. This first step or the second step, the apostles' teaching, just going Skim over it. We talked about it a little bit more in the last mini-series. Here's talking about Jesus' teaching. See, because the apostles were called to be witnesses of all that they had heard and seen from Jesus Christ. So when it says the apostles' teachings, it's not talking about some great philosophical teaching. It's not talking about some other things that could be good or useful if you're looking to learn how to build something or do something else. This is talking about a particular teaching. The apostles' teaching were the words of Jesus Christ. It was the very teaching that we just skimmed over in Acts chapter 2 that Peter shared with this crowd that then heard the apostles' teaching, got saved, and are now looking to run for Jesus. They made an unrelenting, unwavering pursuit for the word of God. But they also made an unrelenting, unwavering pursuit for the fellowship. And this fellowship is a gathering. But here, because of this definite article, it's not just any gathering. Paul teaches us that this gathering are those who gather together in the name of Jesus. And so this gathering is the church. And this is a really important point to understand because these disciples, these followers of Christ, as they were reaching up in pursuit of the Lord that they loved, they devoted themselves to the bride of Christ. And I want to make sure that we understand why this is so important. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 through 25, tell us why we too should devote ourselves to the fellowship, the church. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Devoted. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is talking about the gathering of believers. Let us consider how to stir up one another. You really got to look up the Greek word for stir up, because it's not taking a straw into a cup and just mixing your latte. No, no. This stir up is putting a spur on your boots because you're going to need to teach this horse how to move forward. Now, I never did any horse riding, so that probably was poor technique, but you get my point, <clears throat> right? And these spurs served a, a significant purpose, right? We teach the horse commands to follow our commands we use our legs we use the rope and every now and then to reinforce the teaching got to use a spur it's all right I said forward yet yeah, now now next time when I do this you know I mean forward and I may not have to do this but if you're not gonna listen to this I'm gonna do this you get my point that's what we are to do for each other I'm gonna share this truth with you because we need to learn to move forward but if you're not moving forward every now and then I gotta Stir you up to get this thing moving, right? And this is what we need to understand. We can't do this on our own. No sensical person. Is that even a word? <laughs> sensical? <laughs> Sounds like a word today. Here we go. Nobody in their right mind, <clears throat> right, is going to sit here and 
burn yourself. Like, what are you doing, Michael? You all right? You lost your mind. No, I need you to spur me on, to stir me up, because I may start feeling sad for myself. Like, oh, man, you know, it's just been a hard day. No, Michael, I hear you, but don't, don't, lose, don't lose the faith. Hold on to hope. I need you to stir me up, to love and good works. I can't do it for myself. Right? That's why Jesus, in his infinite wisdom, has created the church, knowing that he was sending the Holy Spirit, because we need each other. And so the word goes on to say, do not neglect the meeting together. Now, listen, this is breaking my heart. I read a report not too long ago that said not too long ago, about 50 years ago, a regular attender of the fellowship was one who came three out of four Sundays a month. And now a regular attender of the fellowship is considered one who comes once out of four. Now listen, you made that up. There's no way that you can convince me that you are a regular attender if you come to eat dinner once a month. Like, where you been? Oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm low-carb diet. I only, I only nibble, and then I... No, nobody does that. Right? And Jesus is letting us know, do not neglect the assembling of yourselves as some do. You need the body and the body needs you because we have to stir each other up. We need to encourage one another. And this word encourage is the same word that we saw in Acts chapter 2 where it says Peter exhorted. It's an urging, a pleading, let's go, come on, you can do it. I mean, it's really leaning in with somebody to encourage them to keep on moving. It's the thought that if you start to stumble and fall, I'm going to grab you by your armpit to make sure. It may be a little uncomfortable, but you're not going to fall. And if you do happen to fall, I'm not thinking to myself, well, who cares about you? I'm running. It's like, oh, wait, hold on, hold on. I need to go back and help. All right, you got it? And if you got a limp, then we're going to limp together because we're going to encourage you to walk this faith out. You can't do that by yourself. I cannot do that by yourself. But what we're seeing today is a neglecting of the meeting of ourselves. And if I'm stepping on toes, then pick up your feet because this is the word of God. I'm not going to hold back even a little bit right now, right? Because we need to hear this. I get it. Go on your vacation. I'm not saying don't take a vacation, but you can't tell me that you missed this gathering because you're tired. You made that up. You're going to go to work on Monday. Why? Because they pay you. Oh, okay. Well, who gives oxygen in your lungs? Who causes your heart to continue to beat? You didn't do that. God does that. And he says, come together. You need this. And I know, I know I've been pastoring for a little while. And it pains me when I sit down and I meet with my brothers and sisters and I hear the story of the hurt that has taken place in this gathering. If I can, I'll sit down with every single one of you and apologize. And I will also let you know that that wasn't the church. That was some rotten fruit that somehow got into this fruit basket. <clears throat> and, and, and it happens, right? We read through Acts. We read through the letters. Wolves will rise up. And I'm not saying everybody that hurts somebody is a wolf, but we need to understand that there are broken people that don't always look very clean. But the church is not something that we can walk away from, right? And we can't say that because I got hurt in this gathering 
that I can do without the body of Christ. That's not what the word of God says. Let's sit down. Let's talk together. I will walk through you, walk with you through all of that hurt. But we need to be connected in community. If we are going to create a Christ culture where we are reaching up, reaching in, and reaching out, we need the, the fellowship. We can't drift away from it. That's what the disciples did, and that's what we are to continue to do. And then it says, the breaking of bread. I could spend about another 30 minutes on the fellowship, but we got to move through this. <clears throat> the breaking of bread. This is different than breaking bread. Breaking bread was when you got together and you would eat a meal, and we'll see more of that next week as we look at reaching in. <clears throat> Definitely important. But when it says the breaking of bread, it's speaking about communion, this sacred ceremony that Jesus instituted. And we see what the ceremony is intended to communicate if we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 through 26. This is Paul writing to the church in Corinth. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This word proclaim means to announce publicly with conviction a message. And so here it's saying that we proclaim, we publicly announce the death of the Lord until he comes. Now, some may be a little bit thrown off by that way. I thought we were supposed to announce the resurrection until he comes. Well, you have to understand what it means to proclaim the death until he comes because it's really a beautiful picture. And we can look at Romans chapter 6, verses 10 through 14 to understand what it means when we take part in this holy communion and are proclaiming the death of our Lord until he comes because the disciples devoted themselves to this. Verse 10, Romans chapter 6. For the death he died, Jesus Christ is talking about, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. So when we proclaim the death of our Lord until he returns, what we're communicating is we too have died to sin and we are now alive in Christ. And so it's communicating that as I partake in the bread and the cup, 
I am announcing until the day that the Lord returns that I am going to live like Jesus. I'm not going to give my members over to sin, but I'm going to give my members over to righteousness. For God I live and for God I die. So I devote myself to a faithful following of Jesus Christ. John said it in 1 John that we are to walk like he walked. Live like Jesus. And so when we take communion, and we're going to start again soon, we're just working through the other side of this pandemic, but at some point, we're going to jump back in and take communion. It's a beautiful picture of what Jesus has done, and it's a great reminder of what we are to do. Die to self and live for Christ. Follow in his footsteps. And so we devote ourselves to a faithful, loving life, living for the Lord. That's what we do, right? It's not living for me. It's not about pleasing Michael and what I can get. It's about how I live for God so that his name can be made great. That's how disciples live. And then the last step here, this fifth step, and the prayers. Not going to dive too deep into it, but suffice to say that people were praying to a lot of different things. But what's being spoken about here is our intercession, our communion with God. It's talking about making prayers to God. And so we devote ourselves to the prayers. And I love how it's plural because you don't just pray once and think you're done. Paul says, pray without ceasing, continually praying, pursuing the presence of God. And, and what we see next is really, to me, so mind-blowing. And I pray that this picture is clear for you as well. Lord, speak, please. Because when we look at verse 43, we see what happens when a people of God are willing to reach up in pursuit of the Lord that they love. Verse 43, and all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Now look at the structure of the sentence. And all came upon every soul. That comes before talking about the signs and the wonders. So then what brought the awe to every soul? The fact that they were willing to reach up in pursuit of a God that they loved. There was a time in my life you wouldn't believe it, but I'd show you some pictures, but you'd laugh. And so I'm not going to do it right now. I weighed 215 pounds. I know I look good. You're right. <laughs> right. But I was starting to get so big that I could feel my skin stretching. That was a really uncomfortable place to be. And I said, all right, Michael, you can't keep going down this path. Got a mother that has diabetes type 2. Got a niece that has diabetes type 2. It's like, I, we got to do something different. And so I started a journey with Jesus to take care of the temple of the Lord. And I lost 50 pounds. And when people saw me, they were shocked, like, what? Michael, that you? Like, yeah, that's me, that's me. <clears throat> but they were shocked, like, what did you do? Like, you just looked so different. They were in awe, and they wanted to know what was I doing, because they could, they could afford to shed a few pounds, they felt. I didn't condemn them. They said it themselves. You know, so they felt like they could lose a few pounds, so I just walked with them through that. That's what we're talking about here, such a radical shift that it would cause people to say, Jennifer, that's you. Like, wait a minute, weren't you the hellion that was trying to take everybody out? Like, you, you on fire for Jesus? That's what Paul says. I was the chief of sinners. 
And now the church is rejoicing because they know that I am preaching about Christ. Such a radical change. And remember the day now. This is the day that a little over 50 days ago, we're saying crucify him, crucify him. That's not our king. Give us this murderer and this thief. And now they're saying crown him, crown him. Like, what? What happened to them? Like just the, just the other week, we were laughing about how we killed Jesus. And now they are running for him. Awe came upon every soul that witnessed this radical transformation. And then many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. But that was like, that's a side note compared to this radical change that they were seeing in the lives of those who not too long ago wanted nothing to do with Jesus. If we would have this kind of internal commitment, it will have an external impact. When the body of Christ is willing to reach up in pursuit of the Lord that they love, the community can't help but be in awe at the way that we're living. You are so much different than what I've ever seen anybody else look like or live like. But our problem more often than not is we're so focused on outreach and we're not trying to reach up for God. I'm not saying that reaching out is not important. Again, it's one of the three essential components to a Christ culture. But it is not the only component. We start with reaching up. And as Christ does a work in us, then he does a work through us that impacts this family and then impacts the community. Right? And so if we are willing to reach up, if we are willing to live for Christ, then maybe our spouses, our children, our family members who don't know Jesus, our coworker who really hmm, don't like you, but I'm going to love you to life, right? Those individuals will see something different. Like, man, there is something different about that guy than every other person in this office. What's so different about you, Michael? I reach up. I reach up in pursuit of a Lord that I love. And because I love him, I'm willing to love you no matter what you do to me. It's critical that if we are going to see a Christ culture, that we commit ourselves to the Lord who loved us first. Right? He's not calling us to love him because he, he, wants to do, he wants us to do him a favor. No, he first loved us. He lived it out by example. And he's saying, come follow me. Come pursue a love that will change your life. You could be in a couple of different places this morning. And this word should have touched us all. You might be a part of the crowd before they came to Jesus. But look at this story and how beautiful it is. All you have to do is after hearing this good news, accept the apostles teaching the words of Jesus Christ. And you too can be they today. And if that's you, please don't leave here without seeing me. I would love to pray for you and pray with you and welcome you into the fellowship so that you can be a part of this great family. And I'm not even talking about locally. If you're going away, go where God has for you to go. But the family of God is much bigger than the Woodlands, than Houston, than America. We're, we're international. Right? And we just want to love on you and welcome you into this family of Christ. If you are a part of the they, a faithful follower of Jesus Christ, listen, people of God. We can't leave here 
half-stepping. Devotion. An unrelenting, unwavering pursuit of the Lord that you loved because he first loved you. And for all of us, there's a challenge in here, I believe it. It might be the fellowship. You need to start coming back. You need to start getting plugged in. You need to be a part of this community so that you can be stirred up or spurred up and encouraged to keep running for Jesus. It's hard, but he's faithful. And we want to walk with you. So if you found yourself drifting, reach out so that we can help you stay in. Right? And for some of us, it's remembering this communion that we are to proclaim the death of our Lord because we've been connecting our members with some unrighteous things. And we need to repent, turn from, and come back to. And no shame, no guilt, no condemnation. Like the prodigal son, the apology doesn't even come halfway out your mouth. Father, I... Come on in. Get that big cat. No, the big one. We got a party. My son, my daughter has returned. Listen to me well. I'm closing out. I, I try. Try to wrap it up. <clears throat> but I really could preach for about three hours. You just don't know all this in me. But I'm, I'm going to wrap it up. We're going to land this thing right now. Somebody almost fell asleep thinking about that. But, <clears throat> but please, please hear my heart. Every, every week, I, I, this weighs on me. And you know, like Michael, you said that last week, and I'll say it every week because it really does weigh on me. I asked the Lord, I was like, Lord, is it even working? Like the fellowship, is it really working? Because I've seen people come in and go out the same way. And it breaks my heart because of who God is. Like we don't have to go through alone. And I just don't think we really understand that. And so even though we have this great fellowship and this great God, we're still doing it on our own. And the conversations sometimes that I have to have, it's like, I, I see why you're going through. Not that it's easy, but please stop trying to save face. You couldn't save yourself, so stop trying to act like you can help yourself. Please let us help you. I mean, not that we have all the answers, but I could pray with you. I could pray for you. We just can't leave here the same way. The encouraging word that the Lord spoke to me, and I'll just speak it over you, and then we'll pray, is that it is working. It may not always look like it, but the word of God never returns back to him void. And that's an encouragement I feel for somebody today. You need to hear that. It is working. Keep being faithful. The farmer tills the ground, cultivates it, plants and nurtures, and then has to wait a long time before they see the produce. But if they wait, a crop will come. Stay faithful. I know you're hurting. I know it's challenging. But God is faithful. And he will see you through. Keep reaching up. Pursue the Lord that you love, knowing that he first loved you. And we will be able to endure to the end. Will you pray with me? Father, I, I can't speak it like I feel it. 
but I'm so grateful that you're not dependent on me being a great orator or great expositor of your truth, that you move through the power of your Holy Spirit, and that in my feeble attempt to passionately communicate the truths of Scripture, that the Holy Spirit can do a work that only you will get the credit and the glory for. So, Father, I pray that nobody leaves here today impressed with a man, but they leave here in awe of a God, in awe of a God that would rescue, redeem, set free, and make whole. And that in that place, we would run. We would run to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith and find the rest that we so desperately need. We're reaching up to you, Father, in pursuit of the Lord that we so deeply love, trusting that you reach back. We need you. We need you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.